Hello everyone, welcome. This is the Curiosity Complex, um, which you'll hear again in a second. I'm recording this once again just before I publish it, um, because once again we are in uncertain times and um, the people holding us afloat are the NHS, at least in the UK, and all the doctors and nurses across the world, um, and the key workers, people working in the supermarkets and the delivery drivers and um care workers all of those people um probably missed out a couple as well but everyone working really really hard to um keep everyone going during this mad time um thank you thank you so much from the bottom of my heart because it really is um i'm yet to be personally affected by this virus but um it's and and currently i think we are getting through it um slowly but surely it's coming down um, but I know there are thousands of people out there that are just um, really struggling with this because it has personally affected them and um, it is a huge, huge deal that you guys are doing what you're doing. It's amazing, so thank you so much. Um, another thing about this episode, uh, we do talk about a webinar and obviously I'm posting it um, a day after when the webinar is supposed to be um, happening so it's already happened. It happened last night. It was extremely good. I enjoyed it. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, I was, I was up at, it was uh, midnight UK time, but it was well worth staying up for 45 minutes or so to listen to Drew talk about um, resilience. It was fantastic. Um, so definitely follow him on his social media. And if you are interested in hearing what he had to say in that webinar, and I do, I do really, really highly recommend it because it was extremely useful. Um, even to me who who knew a lot of the stuff that he was talking about to a, a great depth. It was still really useful to hear someone else say it um, from their perspective. So it was really, really useful. I'm sure lots of people, other people would find it useful as well. Um, so you follow him on his social media, which he talks about later on in the episode. Um, and that will hopefully lead you to the links for that webinar. Um, and if you are interested in it, I'm pretty sure he posts them. But if he doesn't post them, then... Um, post that webinar then just message him i'm sure he he sent you the link to it um okay and yeah that's that's pretty much all i had to say i think so i'll let you get on with the episode all right well hello everyone welcome this is the curiosity complex my name's nat um, i'm your host for every single episode of this podcast you decide to listen to um and it is one of the most unorganized podcasts on the internet in my professional opinion um which is shown because i've been trying to get this man on the podcast for a while and I just can't understand American time zones. I just never get it right. <laughs> I was two hours early to the last one. I thought I was an hour early to this one, but I think I think we nailed this one. I don't know what happened there. But um, welcome everyone listening. Welcome to new listeners. Great to have you on. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, and that is all I will talk about. That if you want to check me out, do. Um, but otherwise, let's get straight into it. So I'll let my next guest introduce himself. Yeah, thanks, Nat. Um, I am Drew Morgan. I am a mental performance consultant, aka a cognitive performance consultant. We have uh, kind of many titles, but uh, I work with athletes and performers on how to use their mind more effectively. Yeah. So um, as people can probably hear, I've gone international once again. I very much am Mr. Worldwide. Um, Drew is in, in America. Um, so, okay, let's go. let's go with Right from the beginning, what, what set you down the path of um, sports psychology and all that good stuff? Yeah, good question. Um, I was a big athlete all growing up. I played a lot of different sports. I was 
I would say above average, uh, but, you know, not, you know, I didn't have uh, any pipe dreams of really going pro or, you know, anything like that. I, you know, I was, I was a decent athlete. Um, so I played, went to, uh, a small D three school, which if, if people are maybe not familiar with the college system, your listeners, uh, it's D one is kind of the big, the big deal, uh, for college. And then D three is, is a little bit lower, but, um, still some good athletes at, at the D three level. So I went to, to college to play baseball, uh, promptly got hurt and, then really kind of was lost because I had been an athlete my entire life and um, now I wasn't. It was really the first injury I ever had. Uh, I've had minor little, you know, nicks and scratches around. But uh, yeah, this injury was serious and it, it kept me sidelined for a year. I And then I kind of just didn't rehab it properly and never came back. And that experience in itself was, was really tough for me. And I don't think I realized in the moment how hard it really was. Um, I, I definitely went through a period of depression and, and really not knowing who I was or what I was going to do. Um, I ended up getting suspended from school because I was just drinking too much at, at this small D3 school. Um, so ended up moving back in with my parents, kind of got my, my, my shit together. And I don't know if I can curse on this podcast, oh, yeah. but... <laughs> I had a guy come on. He um, he's from California, and he literally every other word was the F word, and I was like, "This, <laughs> this is fantastic." <laughs> yeah, so I got my shit together, and you know, started getting good grades at, at the community college, and then transferred to kind of a, a four-year school. And I, you know, I, I never did anything with sports psychology. I didn't know about it, and then until you know, years later when I had graduated and I was working in sales, and I didn't like it, and I heard about sports psychology, read up about it and was like, this is, uh, this is kind of what I want to do. And, uh, just kind of had, I dove in head first since then. Yeah. What was your, what was your injury at the start? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. So I was a pitcher and I had, uh, um, I tore a ligament in my elbow. It's called Tommy John surgery. It's a, it's a very common, uh, you know, injury that, that a lot of baseball players get. Yeah. 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 Wow bit like tennis elbow i suppose yeah um and you recently had um on the subject of of injuries actually that's quite a good topic i want to talk to you about you recently had surgery on your knee as well didn't you i did i had uh, acl surgery that's yeah right. how's that how's that kind of panned out now yeah it's it feels good you know i um i think i've benefited from knowing kind of the mental mental aspects of what goes into an injury and how to deal with that yeah. and deal with really that loss when you know you're you're doing something that you're so passionate about and for me you know I was I still play basketball I play golf um you know I'll play I'll, I'll still toss the baseball around like I, I love sports I'll play any sport at any time yeah. and so even for this injury while I wasn't like a competitive athlete it was there was still a loss there because you know I couldn't go out for a run I couldn't play any basketball so there's like a grieving that you that you go through that if you're not aware of it, you, it it can be debilitating because if you're not aware of it, you, you don't know how to how to take care of it. And so, at this point, I was aware of it, and I was able to be a little bit more proactive about um, not just my physical recovery but my mental recovery as well. So, it's it feeling good now. I, I went on a run this morning, um, you know. So, yeah, appreciate you asking. Awesome, good. I'm glad. Um, so from the perspective of obviously you yourself were injured and you said you went into quite a dark patch after that, after the elbow injury. 
Um, what would you say to any athletes that were maybe, um, I know the current, I'll get onto the current situation a bit later, but in terms of being injured, because I know I've had my fair share of injuries, um, I have glass knees, but the, <laughs> you know, the, the point is like, I, I, like you say, I was same as you, I kind of struggled with the whole med side of it before I knew what sports psychology was. Um, I kind of got, got more into that. Um, so what would you say to an athlete that's, that's had a, maybe a string of injuries or is worried about getting injured in the future? What sort of things can they be doing? You mean, uh, so are you asking like preventative measures yeah, to so not get injured? For, yeah, for someone that's like, from a psychological perspective, if someone's got injured, say, um, and they're, I mean, with notwithstanding this current situation, I mean, every day mm-hmm. that isn't like this, um, what would you say is kind of some of the best ways you could think of to, to make it easier on someone mm-hmm. that's stopped from doing pretty much the thing that they, they most enjoy? Yeah. So the absolute number one, is to find a support system. So a lot of times when athletes get injured, especially I think in in the collegiate levels and even you know high school or, or younger, you, you get hurt and then coach is like, all right, go rehab and come back when you're better, you know? And so you're you're a it's this weird in-between where you're like a part of the you're on the team, but you know you're not really a part of the team because you're not playing. Yeah. You know, I remember going to some of my first um, practices while I was hurt uh, at college, and I was literally like the water boy. You know, it was like everybody would run out, go, go do their drills, and I'd come back and like there's nothing I could do, so I was just like handing out water. <laughs> um, and I was, and it sucks, you know, and it sucks. And and so you, you, it's very isolating in that way. Um, and so the. You know, I didn't have at that age of like 18, I didn't have the the responsibility myself to be like, all right, I got to go do my rehab. I got to like do all this by my own. Um, So finding a support system, like finding a physical trainer, a physical therapist, finding, you know, a a team or a sports psychologist or a mental coach to uh, just help you and just be like, hey, this is this is not this is temporary. Like, let's keep you on a path. instead of what happened to me, which is like, I just kind of got lost and then I didn't, I didn't have a path and, you know, I didn't know what to do. So I think having a support system and, and you can do that kind of proactively as well. Yeah. Right. Like making sure that you have good relationships with your, the physical therapists or the trainers on, on, that are working on your team or uh, any of the mental coaches or sports psychologists or anything like that. So and then re- really relying on them and leaning on them. I think that's the number one thing to, to help with an injury. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's very interesting. Um, so whereabouts did you study? You were completely finished with the whole... The whole school thing? Yeah, the whole qualification thing. Yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> I got my undergraduate degree at the College of Charleston in South Carolina okay. uh, in psychology. And then I got my master's degrees at... Um, JFK University in California. Cool. Okay. Something I learned actually quite interestingly, uh, there's another um, podcast which I listen to called The Happiness Lab, um, which for anyone listening, if you don't know what that is um, and sound interested, it's basically about um, this doctor, Dr. Laurie Santos, Santos, and uh, she um, is basically a happiness professor at a university. Mm-hmm. I think it's Yale or something like that. Um, and she... Um, she talked about being, what happiness is and how to be more happy, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I've totally forgotten where I was going with this story. 
Um, so she she was talking about this thing in the happiness lab. And apparently there's a study that's been documenting human um, human behavior, human. Um, I don't know what you call it. So they were they were monitored from birth, basically. And they've been mm. brought up different everyone from different backgrounds, etc., to try and see how happy people are on the well-being side of things based on your background and your upbringing, etc. And uh, JFK was one of the participants in that study, huh. which is crazy. I think it's him. Wait. John F. Oh, John F. Kennedy. Yeah, um, I think I think it was him. It might have been a different president, but one of the one of the presidents of the United States was in this study. It was really cool to That's hear. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone wants to hear a really good podcast that isn't this one, then um, happiness lab. Um, okay, so I actually have a question about mental coaches and sports psychologists. Yeah. Are they set in the United States, or is a mental coach a sports psychologist? Is it? Is there a difference? A sports psychologist can be a mental coach, but a mental coach can't be a sports psychologist. So the yeah, so the the difference boils down to it's it really it's about licensure. Okay. Uh, in the United States, in order to call yourself a psychologist, you have to have a doctorate as well as be licensed. Yeah. Um, by your state. Yeah. So most mental coaches. Um, do not have their PhD. Like I don't have my PhD. Yeah. Um, so obviously I, w I wouldn't be able to get licensure. Um, but really it's difference. If, if you're looking at sports psychology from a purely performance standpoint, which is really, I would say a large portion of it. Um, there is no difference between what I do or what I know and, and a sports psychologist. The sports psychologists, they can get into more clinical things like depression, anxiety, okay. you know, bipolar disorder. They can treat and uh, they can diagnose and treat those um, those mental illnesses, whereas I can't. Yeah. OK, that sounds quite similar to, to our situation here, because a sports psychologist here is a protected term. You can't call yourself a sports psychologist unless you are chartered on the chartered board. I think it's chartership, whatever. Um so you can't get you can't call yourself officially a sports psychologist until you're chartered. Mm. Um, you don't need a PhD, I don't think. Um, mm. I'm actually kind of fuzzy on that. That's a long way off for me yet. Um, and then there's um, but similar to you because the if there is a, a mental issue, a mental health issue, so depression, bipolar, anxiety, all of those things, it's actually for sports psychologists in the UK. They can't really touch it. They have to send you up, send off the athlete to someone that's working in that field. We don't really have the uh, the remit to go into those sorts of things. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point. I, they, a sports psychologist wouldn't necessarily, probably would not treat them, yeah. but they would be able to diagnose them and then refer yeah. them. Yeah, for us, I think even that, you know, we can't, we can't make a judgment. We just have to go, if they, if they disclose that they have these problems or they think they have these problems, we literally just go, okay, we can't, we can't deal with that. We have to send you off to a, a proper gotcha. psychologist or um, a clinical psychologist as such. Um, okay, cool. So you talked about some of the sports you played, and that's um, obviously, you know, we talked about the reason why you started sports psychology. Um, so what other sports are you kind of dealing with in terms of the athletes that you're working with? Is it is it strictly kind of baseball, golf area, or is there kind of a, a wider range? Yeah, it's a pretty wide range. Um, I've gotten um, a, a good amount of soccer or football. Yeah, yeah. For you, <laughs> um, uh, I've been working with a, a, a few soccer uh, athletes. 
golf is big. Um, I've had a few basketball. I've worked a good amount with rowing. Okay. Uh, and let's see. I've done some archery, uh, softball. Yeah. Wow, that's very interesting. So I'm actually quite intrigued about soccer in the US. Is it quite a, is it quite a big thing? Is it, is it growing? I, I get the feeling it's growing quite a bit. You know, it's it's been big at the the youth level for a long time. Like yeah, yeah. youth soccer, like every everybody, I feel like it's a rite of passage. Everybody in the United States at some point as a kid played soccer. I yeah. like it, it's it's huge. Everybody <laughs> plays soccer. Um, but then it, it kind of phases out as people like start getting interested in basketball and stuff. Um, so, but I do think it is growing. Um, it's also like the the problem with soccer in the United States, just like really a lot of sports, is that it's so expensive. Like yeah. it it because if you start to show any promise, then it's travel teams, it's you know these AAU, it's kind of like these different leagues that that are very, very expensive. And that rules out a large portion of the population that can't afford it. Um, so it's actually a, a kind of a, it's become a an affluent sport. Whereas, it, you know, if you th think about it, it, it's interesting, like soccer is, all you need is a ball and, and, and two goalposts. It's not like, it's not like golf where you need a, you know, country club, but, you know, Soccer is is I think that's why it has such worldwide appeal is that you don't need many resources to go out and play. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just I always thought that that soccer in the U.S. wasn't wasn't a thing that you guys were necessarily um, that big into. Um, I know you have your own league, um, the MLS. Yeah, good. Right? Yeah, um, I know it was quite funny because I had a conversation with a friend of mine. Um, who admittedly is much more into into football than I am, um, and he was saying how he showed me a clip of Rooney Wayne Rooney. Um, he plays for one of the MLS teams or used to. I don't know. Yeah. Now. But he, it was a clip of him. It was unbelievable. Honestly, he he got the he ran halfway round the pitch, tackled a bloke, got the ball, and then from like the halfway line just smashed it straight into the net because the keeper was out of his line. And I was like, that is ridiculous. And everyone was like, oh my god, he's amazing. And then my friend was like, it was really good, but. If he was in like the Premier League here in the UK, he just wouldn't like the difference in quality is, is quite a bit. And that was his, his opinion anyway. And I haven't really watched enough MLS to have an opinion on it. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of where it started for me in terms of I thought I didn't know soccer was such a big thing in the US. Um, yeah. Just, like it's growing more and more. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I feel like it's growing. It, for the people that are, are into the MLS, they're all in. And so a lot of the like, a lot of the stadiums will be packed. Um, yeah. So it, it definitely is. It's definitely a big, you know, uh, a big deal for I'd, sure. I'll tell you what it was. It was actually the women's, um, the women's team, your international women's team. You did so well um, and really were amazing. And that's where it kind of clicked into my head. Like, wow, you guys are seriously good at football, um, which is, is cool to see. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so you recently did some, uh, did a webinar. Um, which um, I was part of attending and I thought it was really good. Um, but it was really interesting when you said it's quite difficult to talk to people um, who, who obviously everyone's on mute, otherwise you just won't be able to hear you talk. And you were saying it's quite difficult to, to communicate with people that can't talk back to you. Um, so 
I was just thinking, do you think, because um, I heard someone say, um, I think it was on LinkedIn, someone put a post out saying football matches, and that's what they're proposing for the Premier League. They're going to have football matches behind closed doors, so no fans. Um, I was going to ask you, how do you think it's going to affect players that that sometimes get um, get their arousal levels up and you know all those sorts of things from the crowd rather than yeah, I think this is a, a fascinating. <laughs> Come forward, here we go. Yeah, I think I, I think this is a fascinating um, question because I've been thinking about it a lot too. Because the NBA here uh, in the states, they've been thinking about doing the same thing. Yeah. I know a lot of the the PGA tournaments, they're not going to have any fans, um, and so I've, I've been wondering that myself. And I don't know that like any of us really know the answer because it's never been done before. Yeah. So. I mean, to to think, you know, I think a, a, you, you look at like some of the major golfers and things like that or some of the major athletes and they can they feed off of that energy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that that people can kind of see that. Um, so when it is when that's not there, are they going to be able to to, you know, create that energy within themselves if necessary. And and I think they will. Um, I do think it's going to, like the first couple of, you know, games are, are going to be strange. And I think that they're going to, you know, especially at the start of the games and things like that, like you'll see their energy levels will probably be a lot lower than, than it normally is. If you think about like the start of a game where, you know, especially in like the Premier League, when you've got like eighty thousand fans and they're going crazy, and you're out, like you can't help but just get jacked up. Yeah. You know? So then you then you flip it and it's like silent. Yeah. And like, you hear it, like squeaking of shoes. It must be so weird. Yeah. So um, it'll be really interesting to see and uh, see how the performance is impacted by that. I think once the game gets going, it'll just, it, it, they'll kind of get into it. Yeah. Uh, but I think definitely the start of games will be interesting. And then during those little moments, like, you know, free kicks or, uh, you know, in basketball, like any free throw shots, yeah. you know, those moments where you have a pause and then it's silent. Um, that'll be really interesting to watch. So, I, you know, I don't know how they'll, they'll respond. It was really weird, though. I mean, I've just been reminded of a of a moment that I had. I recently went to Bolton um, Football Club, um, who are quite a um, long-standing tradition in, in English football. Yeah, sure. For ages. And these guys, um, they have quite a good academy setup. And I did a I did a presentation for some of the parents of the academy setup. Nice. I was lucky enough to go into the stadium afterwards and watch the under-18s play a game against, I think it was Watford. Um, but it was eerily quiet because it was a it was an academy game so there weren't that many people around there was like a couple of like the families of the players and that was about it there were no like real yeah. supporters because no one really cares no one really cares about academy until you get yeah. to the big the bigger leagues even though it was under 18 there was still like a lot of coaches full full coaching staff all that sort of thing full bench full of players but there just weren't that many people in the crowd and it was it was a huge they were playing in the main stadium so it was quite a big stadium and i just i was like this is creepy there was just no one there. You could hear like the, the impact from the foot to the ball and they were like shouting to each other and I could hear exactly what they were shouting. And the guy, Ryan, sat next to me, who's been on the podcast before, he was he's the Academy psych where he was. Um he's gone to a different club now, but he 
he was saying how it's quite interesting to hear what he's taught the players to say and then like shouting it out mm. in, in the stadium. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed that. It just reminded me of that whole kind of... Yeah, that, is, that, that must have been really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. And and in that that you were talking about, like you can hear what the players are saying and stuff. Yeah. And that, that could be a really cool thing just from, you know, a, a viewership you know, someone tuning in and watching it is like you could probably hear some of the players and what they're saying and hear yeah. how they're setting up their defense. And um, so that could be really interesting. Yeah, for sure. It's amazing. I really like that idea. Um, but in terms of like the, the webinar scenario, do you think that's going to become bigger and bigger now? Um, for me personally or just in general? Just in general. Uh, I know you've got another one set up, haven't you? I do. Yeah. When When's that? That is uh, that's next week. So um, the 30th. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, 7 p.m. Um, Eastern time. So that's probably in the middle of the night for you. Yeah, I don't know what. It's probably like 12, 1 a.m., something like that. Yeah. Right, it was like that last time, though. I don't mind. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Not a problem. Dedication. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, so what's this next webinar on then? Uh, I'm going to be talking about resilience oh. and, um, you know, how we can – I think we're all struggling in one way or another right now. And so learning how we can um, – battle through this adversity and then learn from it is really kind of what I'm going to be talking about. And then how we can use that kind of template for future adverse moments, whether it's in sport or just, you know, in life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had an interesting conversation with someone um, yesterday, today or yesterday. I can't remember all the days just merged into one at this point. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like my, I saw, I saw a meme. It was a clock and it was like, instead of the, the numbers for the time, it was literally just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because there's just no, <laughs> no sense of time anymore. Um, but yeah, someone was saying all the offices are just going to be like all the office environments at the moment. They're just gone. Everything is being done over a, a Skype, a Skype call, Zoom call, all these type of webinar things. You think it's going to take off in the sports psychology world as well? Um, I think I think overall, I think I think this is going to be a catalyst for more and more things to to be virtual. Yeah. Um, are there are just so many benefits? You know, it's like I don't. If, for us to do this, let's say, say you were in the States and actually just nearby, you know, if I had to like drive to your office, find parking, da da da, you know, that's 30 minutes, 30 minutes back plus trap, you know, all that is such a headache. It, it adds stress, you know, it's bad for the environment, whatever. So there's so many, so many positives that come out of this um, that I, I, I do think it'll be utilized more often specifically for the sports psychology world um i I don't know maybe probably but i think overall things will change but i do want to go back kind of to what to a point you you were bringing about um how every day is like the same now yeah and i think that's interesting in of itself that we have for so like we base our time really off of like our work schedule and the weekends you know and now that you know we've i guess we can't do as much on the weekends as we used to yeah the days kind of mesh together i wonder from your perspective has that been or or, and, and maybe you can um kind of guess as to what your viewership thinks 
has that been a a positive or 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 a I mean obviously it's been tough to handle but in terms of every day feeling the same I actually don't know where I'm going with this. No, no, I, I think I think <laughs> what you mean. So you can you can edit this, right? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I know I do. I do understand what you're talking about. So the it's it's been a difficult one for me as well, because I know I, I like to think um, I can get a general feel for how people are are thinking, um, at least people that I can like interact with. So you know, my parents have been up to now fine, as far as I can tell. Um, but. Recently, I've noticed a change. I get it a lot from Instagram, actually. So the Instagram stories people post and things like that, it, it started off at quarantine being like, oh, this is crazy and new and all that sort of like excitement about some novel thing that we have to do. Mm-hmm. And then it moved into a phase of like, oh, we're doing loads of home workouts. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm found this new recipe for banana bread again. You know, <laughs> yeah. But I've recently, the last couple of days, noticed a change. And now people are just becoming frustrated. Everyone's just like, this has gone on for a while now. And I'm getting a bit kind of sick of making banana bread again and yeah. going for my next home workout which is the same thing because the amount of bodyweight exercises you can do is actually pretty limited and people are selling dumbbells for ridiculous prices at the moment so it's just not yeah. a thing you can do um and you know everyone's there's this like underlying anxiety everywhere like in the supermarket um you go in there and there's this you just i mean i don't know maybe it's just me but there's like this pressure to be in in and out as fast as you possibly can so you don't yeah. you can't all be like do i want full fat milk or semi-skim <laughs> i don't know spend five minutes wondering which cap of you know which color cap you're going to go for green or red but you know these it just it just seems like you have to get in you know what semi-skim to go that sort of thing and i'm kind of i don't know i've been noticing people have been more and more edgy as time's gone on for me personally um i mean i don't know i don't necessarily want to say this because i don't want to make other people you know feel i don't know feel bad but for me it's not been that not been terrible not started not started to feel anxious or i've not not felt kind of claustrophobic stuck in the house because luckily i'm something i you know what this is this is maybe much more grateful like much more appreciative of everything that i've got you know i've got this i've got two beautiful dogs one of which is kind of I've stolen as my own, and we just kind of gone on an adventures around these woods that I can I can socially distance from people as much as I possibly can because there's just no one. There's a lot of people in the woods, but it's a large patch of area, and I can just mm-hmm. hit routes that not that many people walk down. And if I yeah. do one, it's big enough to just step to the side and not not get anywhere near them. So I've currently found it nice with the dogs because it's given me a sense of routine. You know, they get fed at five. Uh, five in the evening and then seven o'clock in the morning and all of these sorts of things so that's given me routine but i can imagine mm-hmm. someone without a dog or something to give them routine like you say it just merges into one there's no weekend there's no kind of foreseeable stop that you can be like okay this is my time that i relax because it's all just right the same thing yeah i think that's a that's a really good point and i don't think you should have i understand where you're coming from it's like you weren't sure if you were supposed to you should say that, but yeah. but I feel the same way. Like I, I you know, I, I've kind of enjoyed this time, which yeah, yeah, you know, I and that is also because I I, I also have felt very grateful as well. Um, I, I was talking because so I you know I at least I'm here with my wife, my two dogs, 
we have a, a home with like a little yard. Yeah. Um, and we were talking earlier when this kind of all started, it was like, thank God we're, we're here in this home and not where we used to live in California in a tiny 400 square foot studio apartment uh, yeah. where we would, you know, feel completely trapped and, and be going crazy, which a lot of people are feeling right now. So, oh, sure, yeah. Um, it's sad though, isn't it? Because like you say, it's tough because from my experience, this quarantine, same as you, has actually been all right. I've not, I've got back into running quite a lot. Um, you know, I'm doing it consistently now and I want to make it a real thing in my life. And then the dogs have been a huge godsend for me. You know, I, I absolutely adore those dogs. They've been so useful to me to just get through this. Yeah. Think about it from someone that doesn't have, you know, like you say someone lives in an apartment that can't go out or always like very very limited to where they go so in in the middle of london where there's just there's 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 green spaces but everyone's at the green spaces and if you're anxious about being with near other people then nowhere in london is safe you know Mm -hmm. it's kind of one of those situations if if i was in a different different setup to where i am now then i'd probably be i might be struggling more yeah but like you where we are now is is thankfully really good and i'm yeah not currently too unhappy with the whole quarantine situation but i think you you get a sense of kind of underlying general anxiety about the whole thing you know what if you catch it what if you know someone because i've been delivering i've been buying stuff because i've been bored buying stuff from the internet for like camping etc when all this stops mm-hmm. and i've been worried about someone delivering it who has the virus and then obviously i get it and i've got underlying health issue of asthma which isn't necessarily mm-hmm. proven to be a problem but you know the uncertainty of it just gives me this kind of general yeah I don't really want to get it, you know. Have you have you found there's any kind of general anxiety for you guys to get it, or is it kind of just? I yeah, I don't, I don't feel that, and and honestly, I should maybe I should feel that a little bit more, so so I'm a little bit more, you know, vigilant or a little bit more uh, careful. Um, but yeah, I don't feel that as much. I I think, you know, I kind of want to go back to. Um, I, I, I remember where I was going with like yeah. you know, every day was kind of feeling the same and how I think we are our society now, like we we have things to look forward to, right? Like that's really important. And that that anticipation of the weekend where we can look forward to it, that that's exciting. Yeah. Um, and I read an article recently that um, I think would really help me stay grounded in the moment and like appreciate and feel grateful for kind of what I have. And so it's about this concept called micro dosing mindfulness. Okay, cool. So, uh, which is kind of a catchy little title. And basically what all it really means is like trying to in, you know, five to, to 30 seconds, take like a little pause, look around and like try to find something uh, that you appreciate something beautiful, something that is like, you know, just that you can really appreciate yeah. around you. So like sitting right here at my desk, I'm looking out and there's like a little bush and the way the light is ban- bouncing off the leaves, like that right there is something I could just sit with, look and appreciate for a little bit. Yeah. And doing that, like I- I've tried to do that sporadically through my day and I found it has greatly, uh, improved just kind of my overall well-being and happiness yeah yeah i know what you mean i i think it's actually comes back to the happiness lab podcast and one of the things they say that helps you to be happy 
is to is to practice because being happy is a personality trait but it's also so if you're not naturally that happy of a person it's not the end of the world happiness is something that can be worked on um, and it's basically the premise that if you practice being grateful then you will end up being happier a lot of the time so it's yeah. quite interesting to hear you say you know looking at as, as odd as it may sound but it's the same for me so i have a it's not a big garden but it's not it's not that small either it's kind of a medium it's a medium-sized house and a medium-sized garden um nothing too fancy but there's like there's quite tall trees around it and i'm i'm extreme i find myself looking at the trees like wow that's really pretty or there's there was like a ring a ring necked dove i don't know if you have those in america there's a ring necked dove um people in the uk probably know what i'm about um they're like really like beautiful gray color and they have this black stripe mm. on their neck it looks really pretty and i saw one and i was like oh wow that's really really pretty and i just sit there for like like you say maybe like five seconds not long yeah in that moment i looked at that bird i was like wow that's really pretty and yeah. then that kind of went on and told the dog to go for a wheel or whatever so i know i know exactly what you mean i think that's so important for people to be to find that mindfulness area they can be like this is really cool this is the only thing i'm focused on right now that sort of thing i yeah. think that's amazing that's really yeah cool. and it's kind of crazy that like we <laughs> we have to like that's something we have to do purposefully yeah right like that because i and i'm convinced it's because of our cell phone it's like any moment that we have that that isn't occupied you know we go straight to our phone whereas maybe before before the age of, of smartphones we would have that little that little moment where we would look out the window and be like oh man look at that cool bird yeah you know um and really appreciate it but now i think those moments are less and less because we're like popping on instagram um, yeah yeah that's so really for that yeah yeah. yeah that's a really good point yeah I think it'd be really interesting to see how much um, like cell phones and social media have affected the general, you know, mental health of, of the world. Because I, 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 keep, I keep seeing posts at the moment being like, get off your social media for five minutes longer than you would normally, because there's so many studies that link it to, you know, eating disorders or um, fitness addictions and all these sorts of things. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely linked to, to anxiety and depression. Um, I found myself feeling, you know, I went through a, just recently, I was just feeling real down about myself yeah. and really just like feeling helpless. And I realized I was like just on social media too much. So I've, I've taken all of that off my phone. I've taken email off my phone. Like I just try to you know, use my phone to text people, call people, check the weather. <laughs> it's like, and, and I found just in like a week and a half of doing that, I'm much less anxious. Yeah. I'm like, feel much, much better about myself. And and I don't think that's, you know, necessarily needed for everybody, but you know, that's what I needed in that moment. And, and I found it helped. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So do you, um, do you, I don't know if teach is the right word, but do you, recommend mindfulness to to your athletes as well i do i do um i i recommend meditation yeah um, so and i'm still figuring out how it fits within my philosophy of my coaching philosophy but basically for me it's a tool to raise self-awareness and to be yeah. more aware of the thoughts that you're having and what you're feeling um so then you can change it if necessary. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's very interesting. 
Um, I actually want to want to pick up on something you said there about your coaching philosophy. So is that something you put a lot of thought into what exactly your coaching philosophy is, is, is going to be or is, you know? Yeah. It's something I, I think a lot about and it's something I'm, um, you know, still working on and, and I don't, it's, it'll never be finished. I know that. Yeah. Um, because as I learn new things, I'll, I'll incorporate them. Um, but I think it's important for anybody to, that is kind of doing this work or coaching or working with on mindset to have a solid foundation from which you teach from and kind of are grounded in certain theories or principles or research um, and, and not just kind of making it up as you go. Um, Cause I think it's easy to know, well, it's not easy, but you can know a lot of stuff, right? Like there's tons of stuff out there. Yeah. Um, but if you don't package it in a certain way that, that makes sense and is, and that builds off, you know, one concept builds off the other, yeah. um, then you're, you know, are you really that much better than a Google search? So, <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm, uh, I'm trying to, to develop. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so let's move a little bit, um, a little bit more into the, the present situation. So you mentioned you're doing a webinar on resilience um, during this time. And um, I do plan to, sorry, Alex, if you're listening, but I do plan to put your episode ahead of Alex's episode um, just because it's more more relevant to people now rather than in two weeks' time. Yeah. Um, when the situation can be totally different. Right. My same, who knows? Um, so I know you're going to talk about resilience in the webinar, and I will encourage everyone to go onto the webinar so they can hear the, that content there. Uh, but what are some of the things other than, you know, being mindful or practicing microdosing mindfulness or mm -hmm. um, being more appreciative, gratitude, that sort of thing? Um, what are some other things you could recommend people do to try and sort themselves out during a quarantine period where they're not feeling too good? Yeah. So you know, I think it depends on on what that individual is feeling. And I think that 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 is the the best place to start yeah. is to identify what are you feeling? And a lot yeah. of times that's one of the hardest parts. And, and I know that's especially true for me. I have a hard time identifying my emotions. Um, so working on that, I think is, is first and foremost. And for me, what's been most helpful to do that is I get like taking a pause, going off social media yeah. um, and, and journaling a little bit. Um, okay. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of the first step is like, what identify what is it that you're feeling? Uh, because if you don't know, then then you can't correct. So so I'm I'm huge on self awareness. It's something I've I've recently have really been working on for myself, and yeah. Um, so I, that would definitely be the first step. And then from there, you know, I think um, we can all benefit, no matter what the situation is. And this is what I'm going to be talking a little bit in my resilience webinar is. Um, working on your levels of optimism yeah. and seeing ways that you can and try to increase your um, I'm sorry to to identify what's called uh, our thinking traps so these thinking traps that we have that, that can cause us to uh, be anxious or depressed or get down on ourselves or, or, or you know have uh, basically 
errors in our thinking. So yeah. um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about that and, and um, then kind of finish off probably with fullness. Yeah, yeah. I actually want to um, talk to you about journaling for a second now that mm -hmm. you mentioned it, because um, I had a friend on um, who very kindly actually read out some of her journal, which I definitely don't expect you to do, but uh, that was actually the episode. Of, uh, it was quite funny. Quite funny because she, she was talking about it from the coronavirus um, perspective because she was in China at the time this all kicked off. And it was kind of the coronavirus special episode. I had a really big um, clickbait thing about it because it was breaking news, etc. Yeah. Which is quite funny. But the but now that it's kind of gone on, it's kind of become more and more serious. And something she mentioned was that she journaled and obviously she read us a passage, which was really interesting. So how have you found that kind of journey of journaling? Um, that was cool. How do you find that journey of journaling? That uh, journey of journaling, yeah. Journey of journaling. How have you found that so far? Um, it's good. I don't have a, I don't have a like a systematic approach to it. Um, I, I have started writing three things that I'm grateful for every night. Oh yeah. Good. Um, but other than that, it's just kind of like I'll take some time out through the day, and really I'm trying to uh, figure out. Um, kind of like I talked about, like trying to solidify my philosophy yeah. of, of coaching and also like, where do I, what do I want to be doing and, and where, where is my path going to, going to go? Yeah. So I've been doing, you know, a, a lot of self-awareness work like that. I've been trying to identify my core values, um, trying to, so I'm just looking at my, my journal right now. Like I'm trying to, I, I'm like, why I do what I do. Yeah. Um, you know, questions I'm reflecting on are like, what's the best version of me? Like w when I'm at my best, what, what does that look like? That's really um, cool. Yeah. What are some rules that I live by? Like, or what's a code that I live by? Yeah. Um, so yeah, these are some, kind of some of the, the questions that I've been reflecting on. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So do you have a, I think you mentioned it, but do you have like a set time? Or is there a certain thing that maybe triggers you to go, well, I think I should journal this or is it kind of just a you have a spare moment and you go you know what I'm, I'm not doing anything i could just journal right now uh so the past two weeks have been getting up earlier than normal and i will first thing i'll do is i'll just relax with a cup of coffee and i'll i'll do some reading um at that time i might also like pop over and do some journaling as well yeah, yeah. um but other than that it you know just maybe throughout the day if you know, I've been watching a lot of different videos and I've been taking some online courses. And so yeah. I kind of have my journal like sitting beside me. So if something pops up, I'll like, oh, let me write that down. Let me, it, something will kind of get my, my mind moving. And that's yeah. kind of been nice about this time, too, is like I, I, I have, you know, a little bit more time to to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. What you mean, I've actually um, I was talking to my mom i think it's wrong about this um about the dad i don't know but so i was talking to someone about this and <laughs> quite interesting to see since this kind of lockdown thing started i've become significantly more curious about anything and everything because i've had the time to just explore it so mm. i spent far too much money on stuff to go wild camping in scotland <laughs> it's 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 not illegal to go wild camping in scotland where it is illegal in england wales and ireland what so, is wild camping? Uh, so you basically, instead of just going to a, a place where there's like a designated field where everyone puts their tents up or like a patch of forest where you're allowed to put up your tent, it's literally just walk along 
and if there's no um, walls anywhere, kind of like a, if it's not an enclosed area, then you can camp there. You could just put a tent down or in my case, a bivy bag. So just like a thing that is like a kind of tiny tent, um, which just which just holds my sleeping bag. Um, yeah. And yeah, you just go wherever you want, basically. You just kind of camp. So you can do that in anywhere in Scotland? You can yeah, like... pretty much. There's Apparently there's bylaws in Loch Lomond, um, which basically means you have to camp in a certain area. But yeah. anywhere else in Scotland, you can go, you can sleep wherever you want. As long as it's not in an enclosed field full of sheep or whatever. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Ah, cool. Yeah, pretty cool. But that's the thing. I've been. I, I had no. Uh, I mean, I've always kind of enjoyed camping. I haven't had a massive um, love for it in a long time. I used to go camping when I was younger. I haven't done it in ages. But this lockdown has made me go. You know what? I really want to go wild camping, and I want to go wild camping in Scotland. Why not? So I yeah. bought stuff, and then I planned trips with a, with a, a friend to go around Loch Ness and things like that. Should be that's really awesome. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that that's a great point. Uh, sorry, do you have something? No, 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 go for it. No, I think that's a great point. Um, I on social media when I was on it more a few weeks ago was seeing a lot of people are like, "You got to be productive, like do this, do that," and and I was getting caught up in that, and yeah. and that was part of why I was feeling so anxious and and depressed. Um, but then I, you know, I've switched it to kind of like just trying to be interested in stuff and doing whatever I feel interested in. So like I, I've been for whatever reason I've got, I'm on this like history kick U S history kick. So oh, cool. I've been re reading about Lewis and Clark and uh, I just finished another book about uh, it's called sapiens. It's a, it's a very famous, oh, well, wow. not famous, yeah. well sold book um, about, about history. So it's like, I, I think that is that in itself is a great tool for anybody listening and struggling right now is like, this is a great time just to like do what you want to do, like learn about what you want to learn. Like don't feel like you got to, you know, start a new company or like do anything crazy. Like maybe this is the time to just chill and like chill. Yeah. yeah. I mean, something, something I've been doing that might be helpful for people listening um, or it might be, it might be unhelpful. It depends on the situation you're in. <laughs> um, for me, I've been looking forward into the future quite a bit. Um, and when I say the future, I don't mean like um, three months time when the lockdown is hopefully finished. Um, I'm talking like three years sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's been quite um, useful, I think, to just put myself in a situation where I'm like, OK, what do I want to be doing in three years? And for me, it's like it's just focused on sport at the moment. So I want to be running ultra marathons in three years time. Wow. And I'm like, you know, there's so many ultramarathons out there that I want to do. There's like the Marathon de Sablers, there's um, the Badwater, Western States, mm -hmm. um, uh, Moab 240, loads of races that are ridiculous, like running 100 miles, running <laughs> 40 miles around Lake Tahoe. Like, what am I doing? But it also is just captured my attention and I'm like, I'm just rolling with it. I'm watching thousands of YouTube videos a day because I can, what else are you going to do? You know, <laughs> I can't go yeah. outside. I'm not going to go outside and like go for a shop and dilly dally watching, which right. I'm going to look at, you know, it's going to be me in my bedroom. No one's going to judge me. I'm just going to look at my videos and be like, I'm yeah. going to run a hundred miles in three years time because I can, you know, that's amazing. That's great. I mean, that's Maybe, awesome. Yeah. Hopefully people can, like I say, in some someone's situation where they're struggling, it may be not best to look into the future because you can get ahead of yourself and a lot of negative thoughts can come in. You know, what if this doesn't end, et cetera, et cetera. But for someone like me, and, and I'm assuming like yourself, that is not necessarily struggling that much with this, 
to look into the future and just find something that you're passionate about and do it and plan to do it um is it could definitely be a helpful thing I yeah hope, at least um so did you say you'd finished that book sapiens i did yeah how was that as a read it was great it was really good um it so the author you know started from us us sapiens homo sapiens the origin of homo sapiens all the way up to, to present day and then made some predictions uh about the future and he kind of just looked at what are some big concepts that kind of changed the course of of humanity um or homo sapienness because i guess homo sapiens is one type of human and yeah. and way back when we homo sapiens we had we were living alongside neanderthals and homo erectus and, and different humans which yeah. um is crazy to think like we were weird yeah that is really weird <laughs> yeah um so i didn't i didn't know that um maybe i learned it probably in school at some point but um yeah so then it, it looked at a bunch of different concepts and and yeah really really interesting read it wasn't a difficult read um but but i think really made you made you think a little bit yeah yeah is there there's a second one isn't there a second one yeah i don't i don't know the name of it but i guess he, he is looking into the future and like making predictions and yeah. about what might happen yeah i kind of i kind of want to ask you I mean, i'm stuck in two minds i want to ask you what the predictions were from sapiens but i also think i should just read it um <laughs> but yeah so I was actually interested in a different book. I kind of lost my interest in it, which is really annoying. I think part of the reason why I lost my interest is because there was so much good stuff in it that I was like, this is just like overwhelmingly information that I want to know about. Mm. And then like one chapter, I'll have like three things that I want to research. And then <laughs> next chapter, I'll have six things. And next chapter, I'll have nine things. And I'm like, oh my God, I've got too many things to research. It's been ridiculous. So it's a book called The Ten Types of Human. Um, by a guy called Dexter Dias, um, who I'm hoping to get on the podcast very soon. Um, oh, cool. I've, I've said I've said this. I've been alluding to a really like famous person coming onto the podcast. Well, he's not famous, but if you know who he is, he's very famous. And yeah. it's like the well, no, if you know who he is, you respect that. But he's not famous. No one. If you said Dexter Dias, <laughs> no one on this podcast is going to go, "Oh yeah, Dexter." <laughs> You've no idea who he is, but yeah. if you look him up, he's really cool. And I was like, I want to. I want to interview it really badly. And I've alluded onto this podcast loads that I, I'm going to get this really cool guest on. I've been trying to get him on for like a year, but he has literally been messaging me on LinkedIn, which I find incredible in the first place. So hopefully in a couple of weeks I'll have him on. Um, but he, he does a book called the 10 types of human, which is kind of like sapiens. And it basically talks about, it's a kind of a modular thing um, where there are 10 types of human that have evolved down the years from, from the time when we were like homo, homo sapiens and Homo erectus and all the Neanderthals. So all these decisions that we have to make are, you know, in they're always the same. So you have the decision. I mean, this is very dark. I'm not sure I want to go there. But he's he's saying, you know, the situations that Homo sapiens, when it was like the Stone Age and you were trying to fight Neanderthals off, the decisions you had to make there are the same, just in a different context now. And the one he uses about a decision between your child and um saving other people and it was it's quite it's the first chapter it's quite hard hitting he's like you can save your child or you can save a class full of children and this is talking about you know the present day but then he's like in 
in the Homo sapien time with Neanderthals and stuff, you'd have the, you know, save your tribe from wolves or save your child sort of thing. So these situations come up again and again. I'm not, I'm not explaining it well at all. But <laughs> it's a really good book. And I'm, yeah. I'm not, I haven't finished it yet, much to my um, disappointment. But like I say, I keep finding incredible things that he's talking about. And I'm like, I just want to research that. And then I just get lost in that research and don't read the book. Um, yeah. So I'm going to read the book now. Yeah, that's, that, that's interesting. That makes me think about how um, our reactions to things in modern day, yeah, you know, are we're reacting as if, uh, you know, we're still we're, we're not that far away from you know evolutionarily speaking away from our our prehistoric ancestors not that were out fighting saber tooth tigers. Yeah, and exactly. so the, those responses that we see when we get, you know, when we're uh, we get a bad email from somebody saying something bad or you know, that anxiety we feel from our phone, like that anxiety is as real as what they felt when there was a saber-toothed tiger. Yeah, I bet know, if they went outside to the supermarket, they'd be like, will I get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger today? Yeah, yeah. It's always that worried, but that anxiety is always there because like, if I go to the supermarket, will I get coronavirus and will I be affected badly? Will If I go outside and go foraging for some mushrooms, will I meet a tiger and will I die? You know? Yeah. These, right. these feelings must be the same. They can't, you can't argue that they're not, you know? Exactly, yeah. Crazy. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah, so if anyone wants to read The Ten Types of Human, I would. And I yeah, feel... I, I just wrote it down. Good, the good. author's name is, uh, again? Dan, um, and then Dias, spelled D-I-A-S. I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. You might come on and be like, you pronounce. It looks like Diaz, but... Yeah, I, I've not, I, I don't want to get it wrong. He's a very <laughs> important man. Um, so, yeah, in, that's that's another thing if people are inclined to read and i say do it because i personally found reading has been really useful for me um i don't know how your experience because sapiens is quite a big book isn't it yeah it is and i've been on a uh real reading kick so along with my social media i've been trying to block out some of the news yeah. so i haven't i have been watching tv uh me and my wife we just we don't watch tv during the week and we read i've read you know i read sapiens in like a little less or a little over a week wow. um so i've just been really flying through books yeah, and yeah. I, i've just i've loved it it's great is that what is, is what sapiens what started your um interest in u.s history or was it before that no it was actually i read a biography of it was a thousand page biography huge wow. on uh ulysses s grant okay. who um he was the uh general for the union during the civil war the american civil war okay so yeah. it kind of followed him and, and abraham lincoln you know, who's in there so uh that's kind of what started it and then i read um the lewis and clark book and and then yeah yeah okay cool that's awesome all right well um your interrogation is finished i'm <laughs> Uh, but I, I do have one more question. I've been, I've been toying with this idea for a while now. Drew, I'm sorry, but you are my guinea pig. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to put you massively on the spot, and I don't expect you to put to say the answer that you actually want to say in an hour's time. But um, right now, if you could have dinner with anyone, alive or dead, from any time era, whatever, who would it be? And you're allowed to not say anything for a few minutes. So everyone listening, just give them a bit of time. You could listen to um, 
my dog serenading you with her barks. Don't know if you can hear that. I'm going to just say, uh, this is recency bias, but I'm going to say Meriwether Lewis. Um, so if you're, for your UK listeners that might not be familiar with Lewis and Clark, they were the first people to explore uh, the, the west of, of the United States. So yeah. after Thomas Jefferson purchased uh, the Louisiana um, Purchase, the Louisiana, all, everything west of the Mississippi, uh, yeah. Lewis and Clark went on this huge two-year expedition to try to find an all-water route to the Pacific and, and back. And his and so Meriwether Lewis suffered from bipolar disorder. Oh, wow. He ended up um, committing suicide years after he returned from the big trip. Yeah. But he was—I uh, mean, he was a—he was brilliant. He—he he knew he could, you know, he could create moccasins. He could, you know, cure an ailment from what he found in the woods. Wow. But he was also, you know, had like an engineer's mind. He yeah, yeah. could do celestial observations and and the adventures that that he had were were just incredible so uh i don't know yeah off the top of my head i think he, he would be awesome yeah yeah i can guarantee and he liked to and he liked to have a drink so oh. we could share a cocktail there you go <laughs> <laughs> perfect go to a cocktail bar that's amazing yeah that's really cool i really like that question i've been thinking about it for a while i was thinking about who what's I'm... yours yeah i knew you were gonna ask that see <laughs> I, I could just feel it i could just see it in your eyes and i was like you know what? I have no idea. Because um, it's just like, I'm sure the more you think about this question, the more people you think of that you'd want to go to dinner with. Um, and the the person, weirdly, just as I was thinking about it just now, a person that's just jumped into my head, probably a bit like recently, but it's just because I've heard him on someone say his name recently on the TV, um, is Edmund Hillary. So he, I don't know if he's Sir Edmund Hillary, I think no. he's just Edmund Hillary, but he was the first man to climb Everest. Oh, and um, pretty sure. Oh, I don't want to get my history wrong. Pretty sure he um, went up Everest using something called Kendall Mint Cake, um, which is a really sugary food. Um, it's kind of minty. Um, I really have no idea how to explain it. It's like really <laughs> thick icing that's like salt mm. from a cake, and it's like a mint flavor, and it's got loads of energy. It's just pure sugar, mm. and I think pretty sure he ate a lot of that going up everest which is really cool you can still buy it today you just buy packs of um kendall mint cake in in the lake district etc wow it's really cool i think he's a really cool guy man he's the first person to ever go up everest that's ridiculous yeah i'm not sure the exact um the exact logistics of the trip i'm not sure if he had oxygen or not i'm assuming he did no idea um, do you know how long ago this was uh edmund hillary let me just search it I think it was quite a while ago. Edmund Hillary, come on. 1953? Yeah, 1953. Wow. I think if you, I mean, for you, Lewis and Clark, that's kind of, that, that's two people, I suppose. Um, yeah. So if I, if I had two people, it would be Edmund Hillary. It is Sir, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, his Sherpa. Oh, wow. So I think that'd I be like that. That's a good one. Oh, so cool. Yeah, um, it's quite interesting. It just it just popped in my head, and I thought that'd be a really cool person to to do. Um, yeah, that was a good that was a good experiment. Thanks, Drew. I'm gonna do yeah, that definitely. at the end of my podcast every time. Yeah, I like that. Jim, like 
like that. That's really cool. Okay, sweet. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Right, now is the time for you to drop all your social media stuff so people can follow you because I really hope they do. Yeah, uh, so pretty easy. It's at Mental Coach Morgan. So check out my website, mentalcoachmorgan.com. I'm on Instagram, uh, at Mental Coach Morgan. Uh, LinkedIn, same thing. Facebook, same thing. Uh, yeah, at Mental Coach Morgan. Awesome. And um, your webinar on the 30th? On the 30th. Please attend. Um, yeah. I will send you the link, and maybe if you can get it out to people, that would be great. 100%. I don't know when I'm posting this. Tomorrow? <laughs> no, on Monday. So before before the 30th. So I will. Perfect. Link everyone listening now. The link for the webinar is in the description of this video. However, no, no, this podcast. However, you are listening to it um, on Facebook or Instagram. I do use Twitter, but I don't. I have a Twitter account, but I don't Same. use it. So sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah okay cool thank you so much Drew um, thank you everyone for listening and I hope that episode gave you lots of ideas to go and do during your time at home see you all later stay curious mm -hmm.